It's the lowdown on Sports 1440. Doesn't that make you feel better? Come on. Come on. It's like a poppy, fun love song. Everybody's singing harmonies. Cool guitar. Nice little melody. That, you know, you have to enjoy life. There has to be some kind of payoff. We all work really hard. We all pay what we're supposed to. We keep the big boulder going up the hill of life. There has to be a Friday I'm in love in there somewhere. This is the lowdown for Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for amazing deals days until February 16th. Only 0.99% financing plus a $10,000 cash discount on remaining in stock Denali half tons. Visit WolfGMCBuick.com. All right. This is one of the people in the world I love talking to. He's like my Friday I'm in love guest. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to say hello to Mr. Steve Lansky. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Are you, are you, what do you do for Super Bowl? Do you like make some kind of special, I don't know, nachos or, or chicken strips or bologna? What do you do? We used to. So we're in Toronto. It's 1990, 91. I can't remember what year. And the Buffalo Bills are in the Super Bowl. Well, everybody in Toronto cheers for the Buffalo Bills. So it's pretty exciting. So we have a bunch of people over. This is great. We're going to watch the Bills win the Super Bowl. No. So the next year we do it. No. Yeah, you know where this is going. The next year we do it. No. The fourth year, there's no way they're not going to win. No. And that's it. That's the last Super Bowl anything we've ever done. Because it clearly, it clearly I'm surprised somebody didn't die during the game at our place. Like, it was so bad and we just finally gave up so now it's just me watching literally 10 hours of television non-stop with the room in full you know under the cone of silence i, I that's that's among my favorite super bowl stories my favorite one is uh donnie taylor who works on uh, television and radio out in vancouver he was a big time uh raiders fan in 81 they played the eagles and he was out late and he said to his mom he got home like at five in the morning she was up and he said, please wake me up for the Super Bowl. Please, Mom. And she said, oh, I'll wake you up. Please wake me up for the Super Bowl. He slept right through it. And she said, I came into your room and you looked so sweet and relaxed that I know you needed your sleep, so I just let you sleep. Oh, <laughs> when, when moms think they're helping, right? <laughs> and that was in the days you weren't watching that again. No. That was, that's it. it you were it, done. Exactly. You have no option to go ahead and, you know, do it again. There's just no way. Um, no, you you can't see Ron Jaworski blow it again. You just can't. No, you can't. One thing I will say, the, the Super Bowl games have been better recently. There was a time when the Grey Cup game as a, as a entertainment piece was wildly better than the Super Bowl because, the, the, you know, somebody would blow out another team damn near every Super Bowl. It's better now. It's closer now uh, and has been for the most part over the last 20 years or so. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that you said 20, I was going to say 10. But yeah, like, you know, the the Steelers would play the Vikings. The Vikings were never going to win those Super Bowls in the 70s. It was never going to happen. And then when the Niners, right, then the Niners started going to Super Bowls, nobody was going to beat the Niners in the Super Bowl. And and it just, yeah, it kind of ruined it because you had the run up to the the whole season long run up, and then the game was a dud. Whereas, I, I mean, I did the 89 Grey Cup, which is the greatest Grey Cup in history. But I agree. Man, I, yeah, I can't think of many bad Grey Cups. I really can't. But you're right. And, and I would expect the Super Bowl this year will be a great football game. 
Yeah, I think it will too. And and, and you know the the only thing I I, I you know I I sound like I'm an old man, which I guess I am, but it just takes a long time. I wish they'd started at two. You know that you're in the mountain time zone, right? Yeah. It, so what you what you don't want to do is move to Toronto or even worse, Newfoundland. That you do not want that to happen. Well, you, like you won't even make the end of the game, Grant. I, you know, Newfoundland to me, and I, I've never been, but Newfoundland. Whenever somebody says Newfoundland, I think of Bob Cole. Still to this day, I think of him because he'd always give the times, right? Wouldn't he be Canada's most famous Newfoundlander? I, yeah, he's got he's got to be close, man. Yeah, he, he, went, he was so he was so sorry to interrupt. He was so fiercely proud. Yeah, so fiercely proud of Newfoundland, which was great. I, I love that when I see a guy like that. Now he was a few other things that weren't great, but he was fiercely <laughs> proud. He was fiercely proud of being a Newfoundlander. Yeah, uh, whenever I see a Newfoundlander, I say, "Hey, this Joey Smallwood selling all the water to Quebec for a dollar. How's that going?" But I never yeah. do. I, I hold off because I'm a good guy, Steve. You bless it's 2024, and the number of people. Remember Joe Smallwood really <laughs> diminishing now, my friend. I, I got to be honest. Are you saying I need to update my joke? Is that what you're saying well, to me? I'm not. I'm just saying your audience is dying, so you may want to think about it. That's all. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Lansky, our guest. Um, all-star game, good, bad, and different. What did you like, not like? What, what went well, do you think? I liked nothing. There's nothing about it I like. It is. It. You know what it is? I, I was trying to think of the word, and I've got it. It's three days of fawning over guys who are great. They're great athletes. They're fantastic. They've got all the skills. But I don't need three days of fawning. I, I, I get it. You're in love with Austin Matthews. I get it. You're in love with Mitch Marner. You're in love with Connor McDavid. I get it. I don't need a three-day love-in. I, I really don't. I don't know what the solution is, but I tried to watch this year. I tried to watch the skills and that passing thing. Like, that was brutal. That was absolutely brutal. And I'm watching, and I'm with a couple of people, and they look over and they is this brutal or what? And I'm like, yeah, this is brutal. I just can't see it any other way anymore. Yeah, it's true. By the way, we have an update from Anaheim. Uh, per Coach Cronin, Mason McTavish not playing tonight due to an upper body injury. What? Do you, oh, let me ask you, Steve. The Oilers were on that. Everybody was peak interest in getting that record tied. They end up with 16 in a row. They lose to Vegas. You've said in the past, and I, I don't remember the exact wording, but there was, there was a lack of certain something in the Oilers. Now they get the winning streak, but then right at the cusp of it, they're not able to push through. Do you still feel the same way? Do you still feel there's a lack of certain something on this roster? Uh, no. First of all, I'll say this in reference to Vegas. Oilers were never winning that game. Vegas played that game like it was game seven of a series. Aiden Hill, I mean, the only way they beat him was a two on none. And barely then. There's no way they were scoring another goal. Like, Vegas was so hyped for that. And part of the reason would be, Hey, they might play him again in May. Yep, you bet. So, yeah, right? So we want to know what we can deliver to these guys right now, and we're going to deliver whatever message we can. I'll be honest with you. I think if the Oilers had played that game ten times, they might have won it once. Vegas was not good. Vegas was not going to lose. I think the Oilers have just simplified their game. Simplify, simplify. Stop thinking about stuff you don't have to think about. I mean, I love the quote. I, I think Leon and McDavid both said, we're not talking about this streak in the room. It's not coming up. 
That's perfect. That's exactly what you want. Just go out every game, work your butt off, see what you get. Hey, it was another W. Next game. Go out, work. Just uncomplicate. There's never – when you're uncomplicated in sports, you, you very often are a winner. Yeah, I think, and I I don't I don't know how to express this. I'll probably get it wrong, but I think the 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 personality of the team somewhat reflects Knobloch. Now he's he's very straightforward. He doesn't give you too much. He is a very logical guy, and you can tell he's one of those don't get too high, don't get too low guys. Agree, and I will say this: I was wrong a hundred percent every time I said I don't think these guys can change. Wrong. They did. You're right. They adopted the mindset that was being given to them, and they fully embraced it. I would have lost that bet a thousand out of a thousand times. I'm thrilled to be wrong, but absolutely the only way they could win, and I'll give Knobloch credit because he just gave them exactly what they needed, nothing more and nothing less. And you know what? Not every coach can do that, but to me, he gets credit for it. So um, the Oilers now, where they are, uh, do you do you think they need to add? And I, like I, I, you and I don't talk X's and O's so much, but there's there's talk of a of a winger for Drysidle's line, maybe a defenseman, and and that appears to be the two bigger pieces. Is one more important than another, in your opinion? No, I don't. I don't think one is more important than another. But I would look very, very hard at adding because, I mean, geez, weren't they weren't they uh, favored to win the Stanley Cup about a week ago when mm-hmm. the latest odds came out? I think they were, right? Yeah, you bet. So if you're favored to win the Stanley Cup in Jan- January, February, I can't remember, it might have been the beginning of February, you really need to look hard about what you can do to get over whatever that hump is you need to get over. And I... I can't believe we're talking about this. But yeah, I think they should do whatever they can. If it's defense, fine. If it's forward, fine. I think they're at the point where they need to look really hard at it because they're a team that other teams are really going to be gunning for now. I had a question sent to me this week and I held back because I want your opinion. I didn't answer it. Um, it's about the the Boston Bruins play-by-play guy, Jack Edwards. Now, I go back a long way. I remember Dale Arnold. Uh, I remember, uh, not not hugely, but I remember Fred Cusick, who would have been long time ago, like back in the, in the maybe even the 70s. Um, and I like, I like Jack Edwards' style. I understand that it might be grating to people, um, but I like it. So the question was, how much of a homer, and I like I love Rod Phillips too, so careful. Uh, how much of a homer is too much of a homer, and then in regard to Jack Edwards? Yeah, good question. And I would say the answer is there's 30 teams. The answer is there's 30 different answers. They, they every, how do I explain this? Every team has its own personality. And every set of broadcasters have their own personality that hopefully fit with that team. And I would say, and I'm not going to slam Drew Remenda. I like Drew Remenda as a color guy, but I don't think he fit the personality of what Oilers fans wanted at that time. I agree. So on both, right? 
and I don't know. I don't know any other way to say it. There is every so the Boston personality is one thing. The Montreal personality is another. The Tampa personality is another. The Anaheim personalities, and the trick is how to, it's almost like finding a coach to coach players. How do you find a guy that fits into that personality? Now it helps if you grow with the team. So Rod Phillips grew with the Oilers. And I think fans grew to love Rod, and Rod grew to love the fans, and Rod was fantastic for the Oilers. But you could have taken Rod and put him somewhere else, like maybe in Winnipeg, wouldn't have worked. And it wouldn't have had anything to do with Rod. It just had to do with the personality of that fan base. Every fan base has one, and if Jack Edwards works for Boston, great. But probably won't work anywhere else. Would be my guess. That's an I I as you said it. I agree. I liked Ramenda, but I knew he wouldn't last, or at least I knew it would be a, a conflicted uh, time here because people right away they before he came they were like oh, our guys aren't very critical, and then when he arrived he was very critical of the Oilers, and he would often praise the other team. And, I mean, that was the product that was on the ice. The Oilers weren't terribly good when Romenda was here. But I thought he had great insight. People didn't like it as much. That's my perception based on what was printed on my blog by by viewers uh, and, and observers. They didn't like it as much. They like to be... Uh, if if you're going to be critical, I think Bob does do a good job. If he he is critical, but he does it not not as a confrontational thing, just as I I'm being honest with you, this is happening thing. And I think big picture fans typically, especially radio fans, because I think they're more passionate than. Although in Edmonton, <laughs> the the radio broadcast is far more critical than the television broadcast. But I think typically fans don't like criticism of their team, but. I think at some point, if you're a real fan, you got to know that it, it, it can't all be sunshine and roses, <laughs> you know, especially if you're 29th in the league. Like, let's get serious. Like, when does the professionalism come out as a broadcaster? And we have the stones to say, hey, this isn't great, you guys. This is not great. And some people just don't want to hear it. And I, I think that's unfortunate because I think it lowers the bar for many, many broadcast teams who could be better than they are, but they kind of pander to what the fan base wants. Never been a big fan of that. Never going to be a big fan of that. Final one for you, Stephen. And because of your answer, I thought of the question. The, the, we're talking something that, that I think probably just developed organically, but you said something very interesting. The radio broadcast more critical than the TV broadcast. Is that more about personalities than the thrust of the broadcast reflecting what uh, a network or or somebody uh, involved in the production of it would want? Is that just because of the personalities involved in front who have a microphone in front of them? So I have to ask you a pointed question. So are you saying is Bob Stoffer critical because Bob Stoffer feels it's important to be critical? Is that what you're saying? I, I am, and I'm also asking why the TV wouldn't follow suit if it's there. Right. So. Bob, I believe, in his core, feels that is a very major component of being a good broadcaster. I don't want to slam anybody else, but how strong that is in your core, if you have 100 different broadcasters in front of you, you're going to have 100 different levels. And if the production team on television and if the team in the broadcast booth on television, that's not as strong in their core, they're simply not going to do it. And in today's world, Al, it's very, you're much less accountable to the viewership than you used to be, which is weird to me. I would think it'd be the opposite as time goes along, but it's not. And you're, you're much less accountable to the viewership. And I don't think 
to be very honest, producers these days understand that that's a good component, a component of good production. I don't think they understand it. And it's hard to walk in one day, have a magic wand and go, today you shall understand this. It doesn't work that way. So until you get production teams in there who go, guys, it's really got to be 50-50. Guy made a great play. Tell me. Guy made a horse bleep play. You tell me that too. But like I said, not everybody wants to hear it. And I can be damn sure when I tell you not everybody wants to say it. When are you going to start doing this at SATE and and, uh, having people come and learn how to be producers for television? You know what? I'm not going to lie. Somebody called me tomorrow. I'd be there before they hung up the phone. I think you should. You should train people. We need edgier people in the world. Uh, you know what? I don't know if it's edgier, if it's smarter, it's just a wider breadth of knowledge. I don't know what it is, but man, I got to tell you, it's sure not like it was when I grew up living, breathing, dying, everything, Hockey Night in Canada. It's way different now. Lansky, you are the most refreshing guest I know. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Al. Have a great weekend. All right, there's Steve Lansky. On the way, Tato, your Chuck from Daily Faceoff. A lot to talk about the Oilers and trade rumors. Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. Check it out, wolfgmcbuick.com. Don't forget, on the way, Donovan Nations at 140, where he's going to talk about more things he hates. It seems to be a theme. He's our guy. Right now, though, it's our friend Tyler Yaremchuk joining us live from... You have a busy day. You've been talking to Frank. You've been talking to... Um, who did you have a, a little while ago? I can't remember now. Um, Ryan Whitney. Ryan Whitney, right. I had it written down. I can't find it. Ryan Whitney, you, you've been talking with all the big stars today, man. Well, low tide. I like to think of myself as a bit of a big star. No, I'm kidding. Um, it was great. Uh, Frank, I mean, whatever. I talk to Frank every day. Who cares? Ryan Whitney was unbelievable today. I mean, the dude loved the Oilers. He gave some great insight, shared some really good stories about his time at Edmonton. It was, it was awesome getting to catch up with him. Well, what I like about Ryan Whitney, and it's very obvious, he's a fan. I know he's a very fine player for a long time, but he's an Oilers fan because as high yeah. as he gets when they win, he gets low like the rest of the Oilers fan base when they're not doing well. And that, I, to me, that's endearing because he, like, he lives and dies with this team. Yeah, he does, and that's kind of what we talked about today. He was like, hey, I said some things when they were doing bad that I regret. And I said, Wit, I tweeted that the Connor McDavid era was unraveling right in front of our eyes. I said, it's okay. We all say dumb stuff. Like, it's not a big deal. And we kind of went from there. I, I, I said, I wrote an article that was basically, make your peace with whatever God you pray to. So we all thought it was over. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's easy now to sit and be happy and whatever, but it is, Think back to your mindset, Oilers fans, of what it was like on November 9th or 10th or whatever it was when they sat and lost to the San Jose Sharks. It was ugly, and we really did think. Lotide, you and I had a conversation yep. where you were basically saying, like, hey, do you just play the kids? Do you just bring everyone up from Bakersfield <laughs> yeah. and see what you got and punt on the year? And, like, that's where we were at. But, hey, winning 24 of 28 games, that'll uh, cure a lot of your problems, Lotide, the old 10-game heater. Well, and you predicted that like 20 years in a row and it finally hit. Yeah. Hey, blind squirrel, right? Or sorry, a broken <laughs> clock, right? Twice a day or something like that. That's basically what, uh, how, how I like to view my analysis. Uh, you did write, speaking of analysis, uh, you did write an article that, that based on information we're getting now um, is true. I think it was a day ago you wrote about Tarasenko 
uh, being a fit. And it sounds based like what I'm reading is that, you know, he's changing agents. He might be open to coming here. Tarasenko is an interesting guy. Do you like him, say, on Dreisaitl's wing? I do. He's not my number one target, and he's not a guy, and I believe I wrote this, who I'm not going out right now to jump the market a month ahead of the deadline and get Vlad Tarasenko. I'm still keeping in, uh, you know, the opportunity open if Jake Gensel shakes loose. I'm intrigued to see what New Jersey does and if Tyler Foley could maybe be an option like that. Travis Konechny, Pavel Buchnevich, these more longer-term fits. There are names I like more than Vlad Tarasenko, but not a single one of those names I just rattled off are guaranteed to be moved. It's starting to sound like Vlad Tarasenko is trending in the direction of guaranteed to be moved. So that's why I think he's an interesting fit because if you get there on deadline day and it's like, okay, Philly's not moving Konechny, Pittsburgh's in the hunt, they like Gensel, whatever, you can't afford Buchnevich, then I think you can sit there and go, Ottawa, we got a second-round pick, we got a B-level prospect for you, you need to keep 50%, find a team to keep the other 25%, and we'll give you a couple assets for Vlad Tarasenko, and I think he's quite honestly, the best check-down option on the market. And it's also true, disagree if you if you don't agree, but I just think this is a great chance. You've got a month here to see what Dylan Holloway can do, and I'm not suggesting he's going to solve all problems, but you're likely going to slide him in maybe on a line with Fogel and McLeod, and, and maybe you know Fogel's up on the, the second line and Holloway might take on a bigger role, but you, you want to see him, you want him to stay healthy. All of those things can happen in the next month, and you'll know a little bit more about a player who looks really good but has a difficult time scoring and staying healthy. Yeah, I think that's kind of, in a way, too, what they're going to do on the blue line here in the next little bit. Let's move DeHarnay up. Let's see what we really have on him. How hard can you push Vinny DeHarnay? And I don't think they're going to come out of this little month stretch here and be like, well, let's trade Cody Cece because Vincent DeHarnay is suddenly a top-pairing D-man. No, that's not happening. But if Vinny shows he can swim, maybe not, or maybe not swim, but stay afloat in this role with Darnell Nurse, then I think that changes how you view the need to go out and get defensive support as well. If you're like, hey, if we get dealt a blow on the blue line, CC or Bouchard goes down, like, okay, we now know we can trust Vinny with a little bit more. Like this next month, because you've built yourself up some goodwill in the standings with this winning streak, this next month can really be about experimenting a little bit and really finding out the answer to some important questions in yep. terms of your own roster. Yeah, I think that's. I think this is a. a, a and Holland. I mean, some people think he. And I. I think with like the Evan Bouchard development, he did slow play it too much. But this is when you want him to be patient because you've got all this time. You wrote about it being a, a a seller's market. Do you see them getting say Tarasenko and a big time defenseman, or is it one or the other? No, I think the Oilers need to be so aggressive that they go grab a couple. And again, like. My dream target on the blue line, I've come to terms with the fact I am a Chris Tanev guy. I want the Oilers to go get him. On the forwards, I just listed off all the names I like. I don't think you can do both an A-plus ad on the blue line and an A-plus ad on the forward group. But I do think, you know, Chris Tanev, Frank is saying he's only going to cost you a second-round pick, maybe just a little bit more than that. So I think you can get a Tanev and then go also get a Vlad Tarasenko. But I don't think they have the cap space to do a Tanev and a Konechny or a Tanev and a Buchnevich just because those guys have term. It's going to be very hard to convince a team like St. Louis or Philly to keep money on a player with term. So I think they got enough in them for an A-plus ad and a B-plus ad kind of thing. You, you like Tanev because he has the same haircut as you. Is that what this is about? 
Well, I always wear a hat, so it kind of hides it. But I will say his hairstyle, not great. <laughs> okay. Uh, DNB uh, from The Athletic reporting that uh, notes from Knobloch for tonight's game. Pickard starts. Perry is playing up with Drysaddle and Kane. Undecided about the D-pairs. What did you think about the D-pairs with Nurse and, and uh, DeHarnay and uh, um, at home with CeCe? So I like seeing what we got here in Vinny. Like, why not? He's playing some really good hockey. He's clearly confident. He's co-dragging guys at the blue line. Like, come on. So see what you got with Vinny. What I don't like, and it feels a little bit like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, is taking Bouchard away from Ekholm. I just think those two have been so good together for the last 11 months, basically, since Ekholm arrived in Edmonton, that it's like, why are you messing with a good thing? I think CC Nurse can get stale at times. I think your third pairing, who cares? Give Vinny a look, but I wouldn't have messed with Bouchard Echo. Where where do you see Perry landing? Like when we're opening night of the playoffs, is Brown out and the depth chart on right wing is Hyman, uh, Tarasenko, Perry, Gagne, or do you see do you see Brown making it as the fourth line guy and say, I don't know, Derek Ryan not playing. That's interesting because I mean, there's another factor in this, and it's Matthias Janmark makes a million bucks and he's more expensive than both Brown and Derek Ryan. So if you're in a cap crunch for the rest of the regular season, is there a world where Matthias Janmark has to go sit in Bakersfield to make the money work for a little bit? Like mm, potentially. Point. So maybe Connor Brown gets a shot on the left side because Janmark's down in the minors. I think that's something that could be entirely possible. Um, but yeah, I think the most likely outcome is they add a right winger and Connor Brown is your 13th forward. Sam Gagne is then your 14th forward at that point And everyone gets shuffled down. Corey Perry will be in a fourth line role where hopefully he can, you know, be trusted with 10 minutes still. Like it'd be nice to go into a playoff run where the Oilers fourth line plays more than seven minutes a night. Right. Yeah. I, I, I the only thing I blanch about, uh, and I like, I, this sounds so ridiculous, I just know they're going to have a really good third line and then not use it because they're going to be running the hell out of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Do you think about that at all? Yeah, like I do, but I also think Chris Knobloch has shown a pretty good... He can restrain himself there. Like Jay Woodcroft, I love him, and I think this turnaround, I still stand by it. Maybe they wouldn't have won 16 in a row, but they would have gotten back in the playoff hunt with Jay Woodcroft. I always need to throw that caveat out there. But one of the things I didn't like about him was they would go down one nothing in a hockey game, and it was Connor and Leon for the rest of the night. And I think Knobloch has shown a bit more restraint there. You know, there were moments in that winning streak where they'd be losing through halfway through the halfway point of the game, and he would just nope, keeping them apart. So I think Knobloch has shown a bit more restraint in that regard. So I'm slightly confident that he will value the bottom parts of his lineup, but it's also a bit of a chicken in the egg debate too, where it's like, okay, does the coach not trust them because they aren't playing good? Are they not playing good because they're not getting ice time? Like what's the real deal here? So again, over the next month, if Holloway, Fogel and McLeod can show, Hey, the three of us can score, we can pull our own weight. Then I don't think we're going to run into that problem with the bottom six, not playing. Who in your opinion was the worst at like, I think McClellan waited until the end of the anthem to play dry saddle and McDavid, but Tippett was on it pretty early, maybe even at the start of the, the American anthem, who was the worst at staying away from dry saddle and McDavid at five on five? 
I, you know what? And even uh, when Woodcroft first took over, if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say he was better at it mm-hmm. at first. But I think it's one of those things where once you start to face pressure, you have this option and you know it works so often that like you want to keep going back to it in these short moments, in-game moments, when you know long-term wise it's not what's best for the team. So I, I honestly think it's, and it'll probably happen with Knobloch if we're being honest, by year three of him behind the bench, he will just have it in his head. And when, you know, maybe they've lost three in a row and people start the murmurs of, ooh, is his job safe? Because, you know, we'll get there with him. We get there with every head coach. It'll start to be like, well, I got to win this game for my job. I'm going to throw them together. Or, you know, I got to win this game to give us a better shot at home. I'll throw them together. So I just think it's one of those things, coaches, it, it developed into a crutch. I don't think any of them loved being the one who did it, you know? Yeah, it's actually very fair. Um what are you doing for the Super Bowl, or do you care since your team is long gone? I mean, I'll watch. I'm not betting on either side to win. I'll probably just get my fix by betting on a bunch of props and things like that. But I'll be honest, I'm not that jazzed up for it. And I fully admit it's because I'm a salty Bills fan, but that's part of being a sports fan. If it was the Leafs and Flames in the Cup Final, I don't think a lot of Oilers fans would be too thrilled. No, it's true. Uh, what do you think of my – I go I like, on the way home every day – I stop at every church I pass, light a candle. I want Leafs Oilers in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I mean, sure. Time that up with a nice uh, uh, federal election, too, and we'll <laughs> have a civil war on our hands low time. Let's go. I love it. All right. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend. See you, LT. All right. There's Tyler, your M check. Wow, we, we went from news to sports there. Maybe do a weather forecast. It's like minus three. It was minus 10. When I went downstairs this morning, I was quite chilly when I took the dog out, and it was quite cool this morning. Yeah, I was thinking maybe I could get a nice weather forecast added into the sports update at the end of the uh, at the end of the hour here, and we can uh, you know roll through it. When at the other station, we had a guy, maybe even more than one, who would send us like the the pig quotes from the Winnipeg stockyards. You know what they were going at, and D one D two cows, and I we could we could do the old Don Bousquet for those who remember him, uh, and just run like a farm report after a twelve minute news and a nine minute sports, and from twelve to twelve thirty, it could just be you know information. Those days are long gone, but that was quite a time to be alive. I used to read live livestock mart commercials about bull semen. I'm telling you, you learn a lot. When you're working country music radio. So, uh, bull semen, I, I would assume you, uh, learned all the in and outs. Did you, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe look at it, give it a little. What I little... wanted to know is, is like, do, how do you follow that? Like, is there a chart? Like, you know, Lyle, the bull is worth this. I, I, I could never understand that, but I mean, obviously there is some kind of, you know, premium placed on. I don't know. I can um, I can see you in a lab coat looking through one no, of the, I don't know what it, no, I, I don't know me the in a lab thing, coat but. is I, it's I'm it's for an acting role only. <laughs> I faint at the sight of blood, so you can imagine what I do. Um uh, okay, I'm not I so a, a really um um Smoky Lake Trumpet sent a really um Interesting text. I'm going to read it, but I just, I want to read it, and then we're going to move on from it. But he said, I don't like to get political with sports, but as Ukrainian-Canadian Oilers fan, I'd hate to see any Russian players on the team for the foreseeable future. 
Love your station and show. Thanks. That's very respectful, and I pass it along for him. We were talking about Tarasenko as an yep. example, and I had not even contemplated that. And that is an interesting thing, and we should respect it, and we should give give it, uh, uh, you know, uh, air it and give it a voice because that's a different way than I was thinking. And but there's a lot of people out there. We are heavily, heavily Ukrainian uh, community. Uh, in Edmonton, and that is a, a factor in the consideration. So that's a very good point. Are you ready for your speech? I am. Uh, I'm so ready. I'm. I'm ready to go. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm excited for this. I'm. I'm excited to tell you who I can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! When you are hosting a radio show, I I can't wait for it. It's going to be like the first segment is going to be Donovan's. Hell house, and there'll be 15 people you're mad at, and that's how the show will begin. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna li- go through a bunch of names, no. go through light everybody uh, on fire, light everybody on fire. I'm gonna no. burn all these bridges. Who, who <laughs> no, I mean, in this one, uh, there are some people that now do some some things. There's an author in here. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm an author. Am I on the list? You, uh, I don't know. You have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's all on the way. Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. Check them out at wolfgmcbuick.com. Love that band. That's a, such a great song. I liked Sun Street. They had a song called Kitakiero, I think it was called. I enjoyed that as well. Back in the day. So are you ready for this? I'm so ready. I'm raring to go here. I okay. thought that was also a very fitting song considering this is a, a list of five most unlikable players of all time Walking for me. on sunshine yeah. dovetails into you don't like people. Yes, exactly. I thought it would be a nice uh, nice transition. How, how <laughs> Explain to me what transition means to you and why that worked. Uh, I mean, it was obviously meant to be funny. Okay. All right. You're dealing with an old man here, like, you know, who gets mad because Pepper goes up in the, you know, grocery store. Um, so, I, I, like, it's called Donovan Nations. Yep. And we are going to get your personal list of five hateful human beings. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, All I'm right. very excited for this. I love anybody local because I don't want it to go. We already had Lansky talking and people getting mad. I, anybody can get mad at you. Uh, no, there is uh, zero Edmonton Oilers on this list. There is uh, nobody local. Uh, some of the people are Canadian. Some of the people are not Canadian. So well, then, we'll be fine. If you say not Canadian, then we know instantly they're American. So, well, <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Give uh, us number one. Are you going five to one I'm or going one five? five to one here. Number so, five. Number five. I have uh, Draymond Green. The guy fights his own teammates. He always gets in, himself into trouble. He makes he makes dirty plays. The guy is just a clown. Not a fan. Not a fan of Draymond okay. Green. I, I I think he's an absolutely ridiculous human. Okay. Um, there's a lot of people in that sport that you could have chosen. Does he rise above the level? He rises above the level. He just does too much on and off the court that I, I look at him and I think to myself, what are you doing, man? Like, uh, he's just, he fights his own teammates. That's really all I need to say. He, how many other guys in sports do that? Well, it's rare. Lenny Randall beat up his general, his manager in baseball, but it is rare. I'll give you that. 
All right, number four. Number four, we have uh, Antonio Brown. I have uh, one word for you, uh, CTE. No. It, uh, that totally changed him and, I mean, I'll say his career, but uh, after, after the CTE, the guy was just a total walking PR nightmare. Um, between the, the jersey throw and running off the field and then the, uh, the, the social media stories, which I'm, I'm not going to get into because they're absolutely insane and just like ta- you're claiming that you were uh, in bed with Tom Brady's ex-wife. Like that is absolutely insane. That's your ex-teammate, your ex-quarterback. Why? Why? What what are you doing, Antonio? Yeah, he's he won a ring, right? Like a, I think he uh, won a Super Bowl with the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but but you're, you're you're right about both. You're right that the you know uh, one of the things that I and I don't know how you stop people from doing that, but you have you have a um, an issue with um, somebody who, who you know may not know in the in the moment they're doing a lot of damage and it's it's so public right like instantly public now and it's happened not just to him it does happen to 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 athletes and chandler jones recently right right right. so and it's 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 not cool and it's not good and long term it's really really bad for them and yet in the moment how do you curtail that like say if you're the pr person for the for the organization aside from just cutting ties yeah, well, it's not, it's not his fault, so I guess it's kind of tough to have him on this list, but um, at, at the same time, just watching some of the, the antics both on and off the field from Antonio Brown was totally... That, I think it's justifiable to have him on this list for just the reasons that I, that I shared, like just walking PR nightmare. All right, number three. Number three, uh, this one's going to be maybe a little off the board. I'm going Carlos Correa, formerly the Houston Astros. Uh, So obviously the cheating scandal you had. um, So you say it was cheating. I'm teasing. (laughs) For me, the biggest thing that I didn't like with with Carlos Correa is the it's my time, Sally, where he's like pointing at his watch and he's like flexing on everybody. I hate that. I hate that. It's just too arrogant for me. So... Carlos Correa has to be my number three. Too arrogant, thinks he's better than everyone else. I, I did I like, like that him. you got a baseball player on there because they have a tendency to be a little more docile than the, you know, the football guys and stuff. But but there have been a few over the years. Yeah, no, and he's he's chief among which for me. He is. I don't like that guy at all. Number two. Number two, I have someone that uh, I would expect lots of our our listeners and texters would know quite well. Matt Cook, former Pittsburgh well, Penguin. that's an interesting name. I, I haven't thought about Matt Cook in a while, but yeah. I, I hadn't either until making this, uh, making this list here, but uh, one of the dirtiest players, I'm going to say, in sports history, whether it's uh, his knee-on-knee hits or his headshots, basically ending Mark Savard's career, he, uh, he's just one of the dirtiest players in sports history. And now, ladies and gentlemen... I don't know if you can hear my drums. Where's Declan when you need him? Uh, he could just type. Uh, number one, who's the number one guy on your list? Well, I want to give you some honorable mentions first. Oh, sure. Let's 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 get uh, let's get some honorable mentions in here first. Give me Conor McGregor. Oh. I can't stand Conor McGregor. He is <laughs> he's unbearable to me. The, the text guy, the text line's gonna oh, be oh the fun. text line's gonna gonna fire me here. But um, the guy literally threw a chair at a bus. I, I don't know what else I need to say. He's a clown. <laughs> okay. Uh, after him, 
We have Claude Lemieux. You would be able to speak yeah. to oh, Claude yeah. Lemieux a lot Lemieux more than actually, I would be, but. a really dirty play. They were they were not going to the Stanley Cup final, and they ruined the Stanley Cup final. He did uh, with a, a hit, yeah, for sure. Todd Bertuzzi. He uh, he had that obviously very very infamous you know that, that mugging still to, till this day that that is one of the moments where I really didn't like hockey. Uh, what happened there? That was not. There's too far, and then there's that, and I still have a hard time with that. That was really beyond the pale. And then obviously, I don't think this list would all, uh, this honorable mentions list would be, you know, a- appropriate without Scott Stevens on here as well. Scott Stevens has had some of the just most disgusting hits in the history of hockey, so I had to throw him as an honorable mention. Yeah, I would like to throw the NHL in there for allowing that too. You know, yeah, they, yeah. you know, really impacted some lives. But number one, Sean Avery. Was it ever in doubt? <sighs> that yeah. guy, one of the biggest rats in sports history. Uh, the Marty Brodeur where he's facing him, waving his arms and stick in the air. Just ridiculous sideshow. Um, what, what I'm astounded by still to this day that nobody else thought of it, or at least they maybe thought of it and didn't do it. But yeah, you're right. It was it it was just uh, it it was you can't have that. You can't allow that, and it isn't it isn't in the spirit of the game. Yeah, it's just it's not. It, that, that should have never happened just in the game in general, let alone, I, I mean, the guy had this and then obviously so much more. Sean Avery was just an absolute scumbag. He even referred to himself as an absolute scumbag. Well, and, he, you know, he, the, the, he could be an effective player, and that's the thing that, that I think, you know, gets lost in what what he was and what he became is that he could be. A, and a lot of these guys are like that. They're, they're one particular way. Uh, and then their their fame or or their being infamous, um, and maybe diabolical is the wrong word, but they re- they reach a point where the the fame that they have off the ice field or court exceeds what they are able to do, and then they're usually out of the game very quickly, which is unfortunate but true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I tried to put some good players in there as well with uh, with Draymond and Antonio Brown and and Carlos Correa, but mm-hmm. those those top two in in Matt Cook and Sean Avery, those two were not exactly known for being stars. I'll say that. There's so many in history, you know, and you bring up a good point in the list. You're very good list, by the way. Well done. The, there there's some stories that that you, you know, as you get older, you forget about certain things, and uh, when you talked about baseball and pitching and the Astros, uh, for some reason it all hit me about Steve Howe, um, who um, he didn't pitch for the Astros, but but I he pitched for the Dodgers and the Yankees, and he just had um, it just had so many strange, bizarre happenings, and he kept getting chances and not taking advantage of them. And he was a really good pitcher, but he had he had drug and alcohol issues and it ruined him and the game kept because he was so talented, kept giving him chances. And after a while as a fan as an observer, you do turn and you go, you know, you're not helping this person. The only reason you're doing this is because you can you think he's going to help you win a pennant. And that's the wrong reason. And I don't know whether it ever would have helped Steve Howe, but Giving him all of those chances sure did not help him at all. Well done. So when you are on this show as a producer, um, we're going to expect that from you each time. Are you okay with that? Oh, I'm totally okay with that. If I get to continue making 
lists like that or even I don't know I'll say more slightly positive lists well because I've, I've been a little negative in some areas but how so well I mean just I mean that's a list of who I don't like yeah. right so I'll, uh, but I'll I, be more positive next it's, time it's good to promote it though because we could say we could say coming up Donovan and six songs that stink you know <laughs> true true <laughs> I mean I don't know I, I don't want to exactly trap myself in a corner here. sure with, you don't want to be you know for only doing comedy when you could play a romantic role Exactly. Yeah. I, I'd like to think I can play a romantic role quite well. <laughs> uh, so uh, I really thank you for doing this. Uh, Declan will be back obviously next week. But so you did, uh, when did you arrive today? I, uh, I strutted my stuff in here at nine. Okay. And so when are you leaving? TBD, to be determined. Okay. I, I, I don't really know yet. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for doing this. And I know it creates more work in your day. And I appreciate it. And you did an excellent job. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, uh, I love being on here with you, Al. So yeah. it's, uh, it's been tons of fun as per usual. So, But you, you, uh, do you ever get like afraid or tr- have trepidation working with me? Like, oh God, what is he going to say next? Oh, I get absolutely terrified. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm just shaking in my boots over here all, all day long. That's, that's when I know I'm doing my job. So, And I, I clearly have done it well. All right. On the way, Jason Greger. And don't forget, tomorrow, 10 to noon, basketball show. Listen to it. It is brilliant. Paul, sir, does a fantastic job, as does Brian Swain. Uh, Right now, it's time for a sports update.